So if you all have First uh, Samuel 8, we'll read from verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over the thousands and captains over his fifties and will set some to plough his ground and reap his harvest, some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your green and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you shall be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and said, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. Amen. Well, Samuel is old and his sons are on the take. And that's one of the reasons why the elders of Israel have come to ask for a king. Although, as we noted last time, Samuel is understandably upset. The request for a king... Uh, was not in itself unanticipated since Moses refers to the law governing kings in Deuteronomy. So although the request was not an illegitimate request, from the reading of the text, it's evident the elders' uh, motives are certainly from a horizontal view rather than a vertical view. We can see that in verses 19 through 20. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, No, but we, we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the other nations, that our king may judge us. 
and go out before us and fight our battles. That's staggering, isn't it? You know, God was fighting their battles and had won those battles. And now they're saying, well, we'll just go with another king and he can go out and fight our battles. Um, but you, do you see how it's all on the, on the horizontal? It's all, it's all us. It's all we and ours. They're influenced by the nations around them. Uh, rather than the, the word and the law of God. I remember when we introduced uh, this eighth chapter a few weeks ago, we did so by referencing the danger of cult- cultural influences and uh, kicked off by looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, just, just let's um, pop back or pop forward <laughs> to Romans uh, for a little bit. Romans chapter 1. Now, Romans chapter 1, as you know, is not a popular chapter these days. It's the most uh, politically incorrect, unacceptable passage probably in the entire New Testament. And what is so politically incorrect and unacceptable acceptable about Romans chapter 1? Well, Paul is saying that God has revealed himself in creation and he has revealed himself in the moral framework of a man and a woman Paul is making those essential points in other words friends by virtue of creation there is a moral compass built into every human being as made in the image of God in creation uh, there's enough to know that God made you. There's enough uh, for me to know that God made me. Uh, but there, there's not enough to know about how God saves, if you know what I mean. Uh, that it only comes to the revelation of, of uh, you know, the word of God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only one who can save as we know. And only when we realize that we're on the uh, sinful side of things. Do we realize that we need a savior? But in the meantime, Paul recounts the stupidity, the folly of humanity. Not, of course, unique to to Rome. uh, Because we know that actually running from the Garden of Eden through the whole history of the the world, uh, there is the stupidity of humanity. We see some of that stupidity in the passage that we've just read from 1 Samuel chapter 8. And Paul says in verse 21 of Romans 1, Although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You read on, and instead of giving God the glory, uh, the glory that he deserved, uh, they worshipped stuff verse 24 therefore God also give them up beware of what you ask for not what Samuel was saying in 1 Samuel chapter 8 you you lot be careful what you're asking for it's the same sentiment here God give them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves Fallen men and women say, we don't want to go with God. We don't want to go with his law. 
Uh, we don't agree with it, nor do we like it. And we don't particularly like what you're telling us about the nature of who we are as people made male and female. Don't particularly like being told that we've been made in your image. Made to enjoy the privileges and benefits of sexuality within the framework of marriage. Don't like that. Yeah, that's what sinful men and women say. And God says, okay, let me give you what you want. So God permits it, doesn't bless it. But God gave them what they wanted. Verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. The truth of God for the lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And then you go down to verse um, 26. And it says, for this reason, God gave them up to file passions. So what happened? How, how was that worked out? Well, look at it. Verse 26 through 28. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God give them up, God give them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. I don't know if any of you uh, watched the little clip I sent through uh, the interview with Mike Judge from Evangelical Times and Angus Cameron, who was arrested in Glasgow for, for preaching. Um, and this was the text that he was reading. And he talks in the interview about sitting in the police van, decided not to say anything, but the policewoman said to him about um, you know, what he was doing, and he thought this is an opportunity just to, to share you know, the gospel. And he opened the Bible and he was reading from Romans 1. This is what he was reading from. And she said, well, that would offend people. Yeah, that was, was why he was arrested. You know, what you're reading is offending people. And she says, well, the word of God, the truth always, always offends. And so, who says it's okay to do these things? Who says it's okay for two men or two women to be together or whatever else? Well, Caesar says. Caesar says it's okay. The king of our choosing says it's okay. The people say we'd like a different kind of king. We'd like a king like the other nations have a king. With all their gods and all their options and all their possibilities. You know, we feel constrained and restricted and trapped by God's law. Interesting, isn't it? You know, trapped in a beautiful freedom. 
Because God's law liberates, doesn't it? Trapped in a beautiful freedom or set free to a dreadful tyranny. And boy, we're certainly seeing that lived out before our eyes. Living in an increasingly dreadful tyranny. So back to the 11th century BC. Back to chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. And Samuel says, you know, things are really going to change. God is sanctioning the the monarchy. He's permitting it. He's not really blessing it. It's really um, similar to a phrase you get in Psalm uh, 106, verse 15, where it says, uh, you know, God give them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Be careful what you ask for. You get your request, but get more than your bargain for. Uh, and that's the worst of all possessions, isn't it? God says, you, you know, you lot, you go ahead, take what you want, and when they go and take hold of it, uh, it was empty. It was futile. There was nothing there. And at the same time, there was leanness in their soul. So Samuel did what God told them to do. Verses 10 through 18, he told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king. Who's going to reign over you? Verse 9, God had said, Samuel solemnly warned them, show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Samuel goes back to them and he says, here's what you can expect. Now notice the irony. The king will be on the take. That's one of the reasons we're at Samuel asking for a king. Because you're getting old, Samuel, and your two sons, they're on the take. And the king's going to be on the take, verse 11 and 12. He'll take your sons. He'll take your daughters. Verse 14, he'll take the best of your fields, vineyards, olive groves. In other words, he will actually do the things that Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 16 warns about. He'll tax you to the hilt, verses 17 and 18. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. So where does the responsibility lie? It lies entirely with them. Where does the responsibility lie for the, uh, the mess in our Western societies? It lies with sinful man who rejected God's law. And what will the impact be for these folks? Well, look at the end of, the end of verse 17. And you will be, this is the king, you will be his servants or his slaves. In other words, welcome back to Egypt. It's amazing, isn't it? We're opting for slavery. Now, obviously, we can't sit in judgment in these people. 
or on these people because the picture of the Exodus is a picture of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, redeeming us with an outstretched hand. By the sacrifice of the blood of the Lamb, you know, we know that we have been delivered from the Egypt of this world, so to speak. We've been brought out, just as as people were brought out of Egypt, fantastic. And yet, you know, they're, they're not out 20 minutes, hyperbole, but you know what I mean. And they said, you know what, we liked Egypt. The food was much better. You know, we had with garlic and cucumbers. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> garlic and cucumbers? You know, let's go back for that. You know, what happened to them? You know, they lost their minds, began to be debased. They stopped thinking. And that's how it is with us, isn't it? You know, we're redeemed. We know we're redeemed. Praise God that we're redeemed, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. And yet, you know, we still sort of slide back into, into sin. It's like going back to Egypt, hearkening back to Egypt. We'll be able to see more of this, God willing, next week. We'll jump forward a few more chapters. And uh, Samuel reiterates all of this. But what I'm saying, friends, is that any time you or I are prepared to walk in disobedience to God's clear dictates, it's an indication that we, like these people, have done exactly the same thing. We have forgotten that we have been redeemed. We'll come back to this next week, God willing. You're in the Exodus. God heard their cry by reason of their affliction. And in this instance here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Lord says, you know, when you cry by reason of the affliction of these kings that you're asking for, I'm not going to hear hear you in that day. So in search for uh, autonomy, they reject God as king. And in doing so, they choose tyranny. It's the great lie that Paul writes about in Romans, isn't it? It's the great lie that runs all the way through the Bible. We need to say to people, you know, God's way is absolutely perfect. God's way is the best way. We need to get back to the Bible. We need to trust God's word. Now, what you think is bondage? To the rule of God is actually perfect freedom. We need to waken people up to that. And in rejection of God's rule, there is absolute, absolute tyranny and despair. Well, the clarity of the warning in verses 10 through 18 is unmistakable. And then verse 19, it, it hits you like a, a sledgehammer. You would think, perhaps, you know, just perhaps, that given the very straightforward way in which Samuel has spoken to them, given the fact that they had, you know, respect for Samuel, 
given the fact that God has done remarkable things for them, and certainly did remarkable things for them in chapter 7, you, you would think they would take a step back and take a rain check. But no. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king to rule over us. A king of our own choosing. What's happened? It seems like these people have lost their minds. And that's what happens, isn't it? You see, conversion is a mind-altering reality. And the work of the evil one, the work of Satan, is to try and recalibrate our thinking in relationship to the culture around us. To try and get you to fit into the culture around you. So every day uh, he comes and he says, uh, you know, you can't possibly right, be right, can you? You know, you are a very small minority compared to everybody else. You know, think about the amount of people that don't believe what you believe. The amount of people that don't agree with what you are saying, you, you can't possibly be right. All those insinuations from the wicked one, you know, saying to us, you know, there are many options in the world, there are many roads in the world, there are many groups in the world, there are many leaders in the world. Why don't you just tag along with one of them? Just go with the crowd. Why be so insistent that your way is right, that your morality is right? And you always come back to it because we believe this to be the authoritative word of God. And this is God's standard. Well, the clarity of the warning says followed in verse 19 and 20 by the people refusing to obey the voice of Samuel. Unbelievably, they said, no, we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the other nations that our king may judge us and go out. And fight the battles for us. Verses 21 and 22. Samuel heard all the words of the people. And he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel. Heed their voice and make them a king. Again that there's irony in that isn't there? The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And the Lord tells Samuel to obey the voice of the people. Give them their king. But what is, what future is there in this earthly monarch, monarchy? What future can there be in a monarchy that is established on the basis of the refusal of the people to listen to the voice of God's servant? What hope is there for something, you know, like this that they're asking for, what ultimate hope is there? The answer, of course, is ultimately there's no hope. There's no hope, no answer, no solution in anything that man can come up with. That's what I've often said about you know the likes of the UN and these other bodies. You know, the the idea behind them is 
is good. You know, let's not have any more wars. Let's all try and get together and sort our problems out. But why does it all fall flat in its face? Because they leave God out of the equation. They can think they can do it all because man is king. And there's no hope in it. And you see, well, we know what happens when Saul comes along. And then things look up a bit when David comes along, but he's got ups and downs, hasn't he? And then when Solomon comes, boy, we're moving into the disaster zone. Um, By the time you get to the New Testament, the people realize that there's got to be a king who will out-king all these other kings that we've ever had. Because really, they never, ever had a king that could actually fulfill all that they were hoping for. And this was the longing of our hearts. This is what we thought would happen. All went belly up. Never got what we were hoping for. Simply because they were leaving God out of the picture. And it wasn't until the true king came along. The only king, King Jesus. That things for ourselves personally and for the world in general. If we would heed the message. You know, would find peace in the Prince of Peace. You know, unlike the, the king the people asked for who was on the take. You'll take your, your sons, your daughters, etc. King, king Jesus is the king that gives. This is our God, the servant king. Amen. And he, he keeps what he starts, doesn't he? He, start, he started a work in you. Amen. He carries it through to completion. He fulfills his promises. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. His warnings are there, you know, in black and white for us. But because he loves us, he says, look, you know, all things will work together for good for you. You know, I will, you know, carry you through. His judgments are executed in the framework of his mercy. In the same way that Parents are supposed to discipline their children because they love them so that they might, you know, be what God fashioned them to be. Well, we know that the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. That's a promise that we can claim. We'll never perish. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. It sums up many of our lives every day, isn't it? We can't make sense of it all, what's happening. And Jesus says, come. You can't make sense of it all. Come to me. And uh, cast your burden on me and I will give you rest. That's what our king promises. Unlike these kings that were going to come in future generations. You know, our king, you know, sticks by us and enables us to live in a way that brings him the greatest glory. You see, Jesus is not like any other king. That's what I'm saying, beloved. Jesus is not like any other king. And our citizenship is in in heaven. But we know that, you know... um, it costs to have Jesus as king. 
it isn't an easy ride. And many people are finding out, increasingly finding out that it is, you know, costly to to serve King Jesus. You know, as Angus Cameron found out when he was arrested, and as others are finding out, you know, thankfully, you know, we still live in a in a country where, you know, through the courts and things. Uh, you know, common sense prevails, but in other parts of the world, people are suffering terribly for their their stand for the cause for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God knows every one of them. God doesn't forget them. And as we come to prayer, you know, after we sing our, our second hymn, we will certainly want to remember those uh, persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ in different parts of the world, whether they're being persecuted through religious regimes or political regimes. Um, But we'll certainly want to remember them in prayer.